Mad Beef is kept going and growing by generous support from Skater HQ. Bill and the team have been heavily involved in the inline skating community since 1991 and continue to support competitions, skaters, and now a podcast. You can visit Skater HQ at one of their Sydney shops or shop online at skaterhq.com.au. Also, big thanks to our Patreon supporters. It really means a lot. If you want to become a patron of the podcast, find us on Patreon and pledge a monthly contribution. Even just $2 a month would be a huge encouragement. Hi and welcome to Mad Beef, the Australian rollerblading podcast. I'm Mikey Lynch and in this episode I'm really stoked to chat with um, former Aussie world vert champion Sessa Mora. We chat about what made Australian skaters just so good on the world scene, the sad, unnecessary divide between street skating and vert skating. Um, as well as a whole bunch, whole bunch of stuff uh, in between. Some trick tips uh, for airing on vert. Little stories from various times in blading history. Uh, it's the first, but not the last time that we'll have Cesar on the podcast. And I hope you get a lot out of it. Cheers. Um, thanks heaps for your time, Cesar, and, and uh, openness to, to do a few of these, perhaps over the coming weeks and months. No, it's my pleasure, man. It's a good thing you're doing. I like what you're doing. A lot of, a lot of um, behind the scenes people make the sport go around, and you're one of them. So it's good. Oh, thanks, man. Appreciate that. And it's um, particularly, I think, what I want to try and do is obviously tell some of the Australian story, and you're a big part of that. And Ian's been really generous with his time and insights as well, um, because you know, like there's there's guys obviously who've got contact with a lot of the Americans and others, and and yet we've got a different story, different places, different people, and um, and so it's cool that you're willing to sort of help tell a bit more of that story. Yeah, I'll just tell what I know from my experiences and from what I've seen, and um, we're we're quite different here. The way we approach skating and the way we started, and the reasons why we started the way we did, and yeah, um, you travel around the world, and everything's a little bit different everywhere yeah. you go. Yeah, um, before we dive in, and I reckon that might be a cool place to dive in on if you're happy with that. But um, I was uh, telling my kids this morning, got a 12-year-old and uh, well, 13-year-old now and uh, 11-year-old and 8-year-old. Uh, but the, the boy, the 8-year-old boy and the 13-year-old boy are both mega keen soccer and futsal um, uh-huh, okay. dudes. And so, like, uh-huh. I was telling them, oh, I'm talking with this kind of pro skater, and they were like, oh, yeah, that's pretty cool. And then they started looking through your Instagram and came across some of your football juggling and um, and heard a bit about your um, junior career in soccer, and they were way more, <laughs> they were way more interested in that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But make weird. sure I, you I, tell I, them they're Barca fans. We're not Madrid fans. We're Barca fans. Tell them that. <laughs> so there you uh, go. That, that's okay. It's, it's, it's all good football. It's good. I, I, I appreciate I'm not one-eyed. I, I'm from Madrid. I was born in Madrid. My team is Madrid, but I appreciate good soccer. And Barca, Barca, in the last decade or so, has played the best soccer. So it's um, and then they're one of the best teams in 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 history. So so good on them. They got good taste. Yeah, I'll tell them. I'll tell them you said that. <laughs> and so that was the thing. Hey, you were um, you were already intense into. Uh, kind of competitive, pretty high-level soccer as a junior at the same time or before and then at the beginning of your um, skating career, hey? Yeah, yeah. So I was always a soccer player. That's my number one thing. That's what I was the most natural at and um, took to it, represented my country at a youth level, went overseas, you know, um, came back and just started skating at the same time and really – you know, back then there was no competitions really, and it was everyone just skated. They'd have a nationals or something, but I didn't know about them. We just skated because it was fun, and I, it just kind of took me over. I skated for about a year and a half and played soccer at the same time. And soccer is pretty hard on your body, mm. as it is. As it is, you got to be super fit. But then there's also the uh, the joints, the, the the knee injuries. Like it's it's not an easy sport. But then you start skating as well. And my body was taking a beating. And because I, I didn't come from a, a rolling background, so, you know, I didn't understand the concept of bailing yeah. to save to save yourself and, and get up and try the trick again. For me, that was I'm, – I'm very proud. So for me, that was like failure. If I had to bail a trick, it was like I failed. So I tried to, I tried to land everything 
<laughs> and you can't sometimes, you know, you're like halfway upside down on the wrong axis and you're trying to put your feet down and, you know, you're going to get smashed. And I got smashed a lot to the point where the, the guys at Manly would be like, man, that guy, he's not going to last two years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and yet I, I saw somewhere, um, I, I, maybe it was on, on your one of your Instagram things. No, 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 it was on um, – on on your Wikipedia thing, um, that actually you you spared breaks for a, a lot of your professional career, eh? And then, then it was later on that there was a, an arm break or something, at least according to your Wikipedia article. Um, um, my, my friend Martin, the photographer, used to call me bulletproof uh-huh. because I'm I think I think because I'm compact, yeah, um, and always been you know pretty strong for my size. I could I could take a hit, I could fall, I could take a hit, and I don't have brittle bones, fortunately, yeah. but um, yeah, the first break came in like 2000, 2001 when um, I started getting into uh, into the gym, started putting on a bit more weight, a bit a bit bigger. I was ten kilos over what I uh, normally would would be, and and just fell at the at the X Games in Melbourne. Yeah, fell back, fell backwards. Not not even a big fall or anything, but it was just the perfect storm of the the extra weight I was carrying. And the way I fell, yeah. broke my broke my wrist and my my arm at the <laughs> same times. Yuck! <laughs> so um, after that, I just dropped weight again and just got back into being more athletic and not not mass, you know, not not big. It's, yeah, it's pointless. You're not fit. You can't move properly. I, I couldn't even spin properly or air properly when I was that heavy at, at the Melbourne X Games. And I thought it was the ramp, but then I'm watching everybody else. And they're all skating the same way they normally did. And I was just feeling heavy and it just didn't feel good. So Yeah, there you go. Yeah, so lean and fit and, and strong but not not bulk just for bulk's sake. It's more cosmetic. Nah, yeah. It's pointless. You've got to be functional. You've got to yeah. be able to, to, to move. And, yeah. and skating is all about – we didn't even realise it at the time, but it's all about core. It's all mm. about uh, agility and you can't – be like that when you're overweight. Yeah. Hey, um, so let's dive into this um, this point of – you made the comment, which I reckon is a fair comment, hey, that there's – Australians brought something unique to the sport. I mean, we've still got great skaters today, but but that was one of these things. You look at some of those competitions like that year, 95, when you came out on top in the um, in the, the NIS, was it, the ASA? Um, yeah. The number of Aussies in that list, right? There's Tom, there's Manuel, there's you, there's Tim, there's – like it, in a, a sport that – you know, kind of had its had its heartbeat in Southern California. Suddenly, there's this like Australians didn't just contend, but dominated in. Or, you know, were a massive force. What are what are some of the things you think about the unique background of of skating in Australia that that meant that once the world discovered Australians, they went, "Holy crap! These <laughs> these guys are, are are monsters." What was going on there? Do you reckon? Okay, so let's go back to soccer for a second. Yeah, okay. Uh, and a simple fact that everybody knows, you know, let's just say, let's just pick the Brazilians, for example. They're up there with the best in the world. They always have been. They're not a rich country. The best Brazilian players don't come from wealthy homes. They come from playing in the street, crappy, you know, dirt streets with a shitty ball and barefoot sometimes. So when you play in those conditions, you get super good. So what happens when you throw a Brazilian into the Barcelona team on beautiful grass with nice new soccer boots? You know what I mean? Yeah, it's like they're in sort of zero gravity. It's like uh, amazing. So here in Australia, we grew up skating crappy ramps, let's be honest. Monovar was a death trap. Um, Bondi was, I thought, was a great ramp. It was a piece of shit. The coping would fall off. The surface was crap. But that's what we got used to. We got used to skating average ramps, but we would just skate, and we'd get used to it, and we just skate every day. And we didn't skate because the cameras were out, and we didn't skate because the videos were out. We didn't even we weren't even doing videos back then. Yep. And then you could get you could tell who was from Melbourne, and you can tell who was from Sydney, and you can tell who was from um, Queensland, just from the style and the tricks and and the thing. And everybody influenced everybody, and everybody was super creative back then. We didn't try to be to do everything that that guy did. We tried to better that or do it differently or add something to it. I remember a couple of sessions me and Tim Ward had. 
we made up like 15 tricks in the one session. <laughs> yeah. It's just like, and we'd sit on, like when I travel with Tim, for example, we'd sit on a, in, in a hotel or in a plane. What if we did this? What if you could do that with that? You know, mm. where these days I think it's just. Well, you see a variation of that, even just with aerial um, uh, kind of postures, right? That like now it's kind of, it's a mute or it's a Liu Kang and that's it. Um, Whereas I was just chatting with Ian in one of our early podcasts about how like you watch that public transport video with you guys skating down at Bondi and every single wall is a different, it's a contortist and then it's a judo and then it's a mute and then it's a tweet. Yeah, it was horrible. It was horrible. The the styles weren't the best, but there was an intent. Yeah. There's intent there to do something different, yeah. to, to, to be different. And so what I found when I went to America was that a little bit of stardom had already hit the American scene and guys were video famous and mm. people I, – I found certain skaters wouldn't skate unless they were going to be filmed or unless they were be um, on a video. And then, and then the skate parks over there were just amazing and the ramps were huge and they were nice. So they got used to the – you know, the luxury of it, where here you can use that term Aussie battlers, skating whatever was in front of us and making the best of it. So when we actually got over there and we got these beautiful, nice ramps, we're like, yeah. holy shit, and we loved it. Yeah, and so yeah. I think the rawness of the Australian skating came, came, came up to the top where we had, like the Australian titles, people don't understand, the Australian titles is one of the hardest competitions to win. <laughs> <laughs> Because you got, let's just say the vert. You had me, Tom Fry, Manuel Belirus, Tim Ward, Matt Salerno, Toby Heslop, Ian Smith. I could name top, yeah. like just ten Australians that that could take top ten in like the X Games or overseas. You know, like it was the depth here was insane. Well, I remember actually that like one of the things that that because I was I was a Melbourne boy and um, that you know, like as you say like the like the Brazilian comparison. I think for the first year, maybe less than this, but, you know, time's different when you're a teenager, but I, I remember Manuel for ages skating like um, like he'd just turn up, this older guy turned up at the ramp suddenly, skating like Malibus from Kmart. You know, he had Cosmos on him and stuff, but, but it, was, it was the most crusty skates ever and, and we suddenly just saw this old dude go from, you know, dropping in to, you know, obviously then what he became. But for ages, again, it was skating even shoddy equipment as well as... Um, you know, but just just going at it and just sticking at it and so on. Yeah, my my first skate. Most people skates were Malibus. I tried to find Malibus. I I I, I could only find the Very Flex, uh-huh. which lo- looked the same though, a fluoro yellow plastic <laughs> wheels. But you know, that's what we that's what we 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 made the most of, and we just learnt from each other. When you're in an envi- when you're in an environment where people are doing this, and that becomes the norm. When you that's the norm. Yeah. Where overseas that was like extraordinary. People weren't doing that, um, so that's why when the Australian skaters went over there, they they just have an honest approach to things. They go there and they just skate. Yeah. And they just skate and they just try to progress and they session. They don't only train. They don't train like oh, of course I would get ready for competitions and I ended up being a good competition skater, but I just love to session. And part of, a session. part of when your session is you are making your mate laugh or you're daring and you're um, – it's all that kind of stuff too, isn't it? And so that's where some of that showmanship and uh, crazy, stupid stuff comes in because you're not just nailing the pitch-perfect trick, are you? But you're going, I bet you I'll do it this way and it'll get a laugh from you or get a you know scream from you. you know, you're know, you going for different things, aren't you, when you're having a session with people? Yeah, and that's when you have the most fun. Like I would do like a, a, a 720 where I would do a 360 leg spread grab stall <laughs> – and then, and then a late three sixty out. That's bloody hard, but it's funny. Yeah. And, and we used to do stuff like that, or at Vertex, we used to hit the bell, and and then if the other guy did it, it would be all high fives. Like hopefully, mm. you know, no, no jealous. You know, you're trying to push each other. Well, and, even and, like yeah, I mean, was that kind of late spinning through like seven twenties? Was that an Aussie creation? Because that's the thing that both you and um, Manuel had. You know, is that just kind of distinctive, right? The kind of spinning and then almost like, you know, tucked up to then throw yourself around the second half of, of those rotations? Was that? Um, I think it, well, it became an Aussie thing, but I think it was um, started with Chris Ed- The first time I saw like a late mm. was Chris Edwards where yeah. he would do like a, like a 540, but he'd do it like late. Yep. Um, or he did a three, like a rocket late 360. Yeah. yeah. Like um, that's why I always – 
put him up there as like the, the best for me because although ultimately people's levels later got better than his, what he did in the early years with not much support was just amazing. The way he was skating in 93 before I even put on skates, 94, was just amazing. Yeah. With, where no one else around him was even close. Yeah. And he kept pushing and he kept pushing. But that he inspired all of us. Yeah. And we saw him on videos and tried to dress like him and do the tricks like him. And then the Australians just took it and just went crazy with it. And the, the talent that came out of Australia, like I said, it was just raw, honest talent. Like guys would just go out there, not to be filmed, not to be number one, not to be, not to compete, just, just because it was fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I found, I found myself going back to the playing soccer and skating at the same time. I got to a point where I'd be lying in bed thinking of doing the ramp, like <laughs> where before I used to think of soccer, started to overtake. But there was no. I still wasn't doing any competitions or anything. I just did it because it was fun. Yep. I used to work. I used to work at Burwood, which is probably I don't know, almost an hour away from Bondi, in traffic. And so on a Saturday, I finish at four o'clock. The ramp gets a bit drizzly because of the sea spray about six o'clock. So I would pad up, put my pads on, put my skates on in the shop, and drive to Bondi with my skates on so I wouldn't waste any time parking. I just, I just skate down the hill and try to get as much possession in as I could. I wasn't getting paid. Yeah. I wasn't told to do that. I wasn't asked to do it. I did it because it was just fun because I loved it. It just took over. And the fun turned into a, <laughs> a little career. So yeah. that's how that came about. Yeah. That's awesome. Hey, um, uh, there's a – again, on – so picking up some of the things you've already posted on the Instagram, you're telling the story about how early on there are a bunch of young punks work uh, skating at Bondi, and you're a bit older and, and weren't doing it quite. To, so you went and found other places to skate uh, to try stuff out, and, and then kind of came back, you know, um, <laughs> later on. Do you want to tell a little bit of that story? Yeah, look, everyone knows Bondi was a big scene. Um, a lot of skaters there. I mean, even if you just hung out there, you had skates on, and. Um, a kid called Micro, who I thought was after Tom Fryer back then, was pretty much one of the best in Australia. He's only 12 years old. He was small. That's why they called him Micro. But he had just had a beautiful little style. He could ride vert. He was a little smart-ass, though. Good kid, but, you know, a little smart-ass. He had Rafi. Rafi was another little smart-ass, really talented. Um, he had Ben. Um, he had Josh Pincus, who wasn't a smart-ass, but a um, nice kid, and all their age group, you know, and I was a bit older. And like, like I said, I didn't come from a rolling background. I came from soccer yep. and jumped on skates at 23 years old to learn how to throw myself around and around. And so my style was a bit out there, and, you know, I tried to do stuff beyond my capabilities, and, you know, you get little comments. I was like, oh, okay, well, we'll see. So I just went away, and I would just, like, skate in the middle of the day. Yep. And days off, go to ramps where there was no one around, and just use. I'm very creative. I've got a good imagination. I'll just think of things and just try them and work things out myself. And what was the deal the with the hockey mask? Oh, that was again. That was just having fun. <laughs> That's just mucking around. I did another yeah. photo shoot for. I think it, it was actually in four in a row where I had you know the scream mask. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was doing like an invert of that. It was a cool shot, but yep. it was just fun. Yeah, it doesn't always have to be serious. I got a lot of serious photos, but I used to like muck around and. Yeah, hmm. yeah, yeah. Okay, so, so, yeah, because that's the that's the thing that's funny, isn't it? About um, I, I, I think um, yeah, you know, I remember back just the swarms of people skating, and and in a sense, anything will create a little bit of a kind of high school pecking order once it gets big enough. And although I, I, I think we, you know, everyone would love to have more people seeing inline skating as an option than they currently do at the moment in the way kind of sport culture is. But one of the advantages, I think, to people learning now uh, is that you, you there's because it's not cool, if you know what I mean, it, it means that you can just learn without having, like, a whole pack of people who are deciding what's cool or not. So that's kind of a – that's a, a nice little perk um, where – I mean, I definitely remember feeling that at times. If you had the wrong gr- group of people – um, at a ramp or at a park, it just stopped being fun because you know they were bringing this whole kind of high school who's a good skater, who's not sort of thing to it. Yeah, I don't know. 
Yeah, um, yeah, that's that's true, and it's it's, it's that jock mentality. Where yeah, it, uh, with skating, it's an individual sport and it's an expression sport, and yeah. it was new. Everything we were doing, like I, I obviously created a lot of tricks that never had been done before because it was so new. So everything we were learning was the future of the sport. But we we didn't look at it like that. We just wanted to learn tricks. But those tricks became the future because they'd never been done before. Yeah. Yeah. So that was a, it was a beautiful um, it was a beautiful period in skating, that 94, 95, 96. Yeah. Where people were still working out what was a good style, what was a bad style. Yeah, it's funny is that what things survive and don't survive and some of those yeah. things you go, it's good, they're they're gone. <laughs> Um, and then, I don't know, I mean, some of the other stuff, you know, you go like, actually, that's, you know, I mean, like vert skating, like inverts, like, I mean, I reckon some of those airs were ridiculous, but some of them were, you know, like that Gumby air and the contorters, I reckon, look pretty pretty wild, man. It's like, you know, um, but anyway, you know, that's, uh, and then other things like some of those grinds, the sidewalk or whatever are kind of goofy and don't, yeah. don't miss them. It kind of gets filtered through, you shake it and the good stuff stays and the other stuff gets tossed to the side. Um, but, yeah. but like I mentioned also, some tricks are just more spectacular than others and, and the technicality of the sport gets lost on um, amateur viewers. Yeah, so there's two things there, isn't there? There's, um, there's technicality um, and difficulty that, that requires a degree of inside knowledge, but then there is also spectacular showmanship and style, which uh, to some extent uh, it's, it's right to credit. We need to have ways to credit the fact that Whatever you know, like a really, really massive backflip may not be as difficult as you know, uh, you know, ten eighty, twelve sixty, ten eight, or you know, whatever. Um, but you know, we want you want skating that has things that just look awesome, right? Not just you don't just want a, well, a string of things that are technically the hardest things to do. Do you kind of know what I mean? Well, well, it's, an, it's exactly what I was about to say. It's an introduction. So. I got into skating because I used to see him. I used to go to the, the beach to play soccer and I used to watch him on the ramps and go, oh my God, and now they're going backwards. And th- then I saw Tom Fry do a show yep. at the Coogee Bay Hotel. I was like, whoa, he just flipped and he's in the air. And I was just like, that's what I want to do. <laughs> yep. Right? Now, now, maybe maybe I wouldn't have turned out as a vert skater. Maybe I would have turned out as a street skater. But I got introduced to the sport. Because I saw the spectacular side of it. A lot of street skaters have told me. They went into skating when they saw me at 95X and whatever. But they're street skaters. Mm. You know, Vert just wasn't for them. But they got into skating because they saw a show. How many people have got into skating because they saw the Manly, the Manly Blades team? Yeah. Or Team Apache back in the day. Yeah. To do, do tricks. and You know, they don't, they don't have to skate Vert. But they got into skating. It's like an introduction. Yep. You know, it's um, it's like people watch basketball. They got into basketball because of Michael Jordan, but they're not all shooters. Some of them could have been defenders. Some of them could whatever. So sometimes it takes the spectacular to the unknown, the untrained eye, to get people into this. But then once you get into it, you find your you find where you, your place. You find where you want to be. Do you want to be a park skater? Do you want to be a hockey skater? Do you want to be a speed skater? Do you want to be a ramp skater? It's all it's all rolling. You know, it's you find where you're most comfortable. I did street skating for for a, a good year. Yep. I'm talking like, you know, jumping cars and going down you know, stairs and all the rest of it. That was, that was some of the funnest times of my life. Yep. But I was more natural on the on the ramp. Once I got on the ramp, I just felt more comfortable and I loved the feeling. And I ended up being on street skates, halfway through a street skate going, man, I just want to go back to the ramp. Yeah. And that's something organic. That's something that was just natural to me. Yeah. You know, and I see some street skaters that are amazing skaters, and they just don't like the vert. They don't want it. They'll watch it, but they don't like it. Well, funny. I mean, it's funny, isn't it? Like, um, like Arlo Eisenberg is just seen as historically the street skater because of the hoax videos and stuff. Um, but I mean, he he was skating. He'd skate vert as well, right? And and was in some of those early competitions skating vert, and and was a really solid vert skater as well. And yet again, you 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 know, someone gravitates in a particular direction for a combination of what, what they're most wired to and a whole bunch of other yeah. factors. And, and this is another thing. This is okay, I'm glad you brought that up because, yeah, Arlo could skate vert, but a lot of people didn't know that. He was actually a good vert skater. But um, Australians, us, and the Kiwis too, we just all skated. We skated vert, then we'd go on a street skate. Yep. And, and then we'd go back on the mini ramp, and then we'd go to a skate park. We just yep. all skated. We didn't section it off. That, no, that came. Right. That came later. That's kind of what killed our sport. But that came later. 
And um, in America, it was like you're either this or yep. you're that, you know. And, and but in Australia, it was just like whether you were good or bad, you just wrote everything. Yep. And you went everywhere, and you skated everywhere. And if there was a ramp there, everyone just had to go on the ramp. If there was a rail, everyone had to go. My God, the amount of times I killed myself on a rail, <laughs> you know. But we just did it. Yeah. So it killed killed our sport. What, what, so you reckon it, it um, uh, cut things up too small and split things apart? We, we, were too, we, 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 we weren't strong enough. We were barely strong enough, divided, I mean united, yep. to compete against skateboarding and BMX and ESPN and, and the whole um, thing, yep. the whole established sports. It was already a struggle. I was over there and I was seeing it happen. Then we divided ourselves and we had street – um, get mad at Vert for whatever reason, and then there was then then it was funny because then you'd get guys. But I don't skate street. I just do banks or I just do park. Yep. What do you mean you just do? So you just do park. That's it. <laughs> like you don't do rails. You don't do. You just do park, and other guys just do rails. And I was just that's we're so separated now. But there's no way we can survive because we. You know, you know how they say divide and conquer, whatever. Yeah, yeah. And uh, another another thing was we didn't with ESPN. They want to promote the sports. They want American heroes. We didn't have an American hero in our sport over there. Yep. All right. So they couldn't promote anything. So they'd rather promote the Dave Mirror tour, the Tony Hawk tour. That was all good. But yeah, in our sport, right. we had. Couple of Aussies, a couple of Japanese that didn't speak English, a French guy couldn't, you know, like that was from Europe. It, there was no American hero, so, and we were the newest sport, and they were very in since they owned the Dave Mirror Tour and the Tony Hawk Tour. They were, it was in their interest to promote those sports, so we kind of shot ourselves in the foot, and it was hard to survive after that. And so, I mean, it's partly that, that, in a sense, that sectioning off meant that then the emphasis within the aggressive skating community in the US so swung towards emphasising street that it didn't create a healthy kind of farming system out of which American vert skaters could come alongside street skaters. Was that what you saw kind of happening within the American skating scene? Yeah, you were either one or the other. Yeah. And very few respected both. And uh, so I just... Yeah, I lived through it. I saw it. I stood up for it. And I mean, what were people saying? I mean, like, what, what do you say? <laughs> it's just like, it's both awesome, right? It's all. Th- was it just the case that you'd have the vert skater going, oh, it's so much easier to do something down low and safe rather than up high? Oh, no, 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 no. They're different, different people, different people. Yeah. So if you look at the verts, vert skating takes a bit more time to do. Yeah. I'm not saying it's harder or easier because yeah. there's no way I could ever do what these crazy bastards are doing on rails. It's insane. But it just takes longer because there's no vert ramps everywhere. You actually got to go to a vert ramp to practice, yep. and because you're in the air and all, it just takes longer to get used to the, the the spatial awareness and all the rest of it. Where on street, you can go outside, you can practice on your curb, you can get a little rail, jump off a couple of steps. You can practice. You can practice anywhere, everywhere, and you're on the ground, you're on your feet, so you can get comfortable at it. Yep. Um, what was the point? I forgot where we were going. So what, what was the um, chatter like, this dividing up? What were people sort of saying um, one to the other that, that, you know, street versus vert, vert versus street, you know, was it that vert people were kind of looking down on street saying it wasn't? Ah, oh, yes. Yeah. Okay, mm. thanks, thanks. Mm. So we're just different people. So I found that the vert guys were just a little bit older. Yep. Uh, and the young guys were a bit younger. The younger, the street guys were younger. They were, they were raw. They were um, more street, if you could say that. Um, and so sometimes I didn't understand responsibility of being professional, Yep. which I had to learn quickly. You know, you got eyes on you. you got people looking at what you're doing, what you're saying. Um, you, know, when you have to be good to your sponsors. You have to be good doing interviews. You have to present a good face for the sport. If you watch a lot of the uh, the other sports, they've got good representatives. Yep, yep. Um, and then it got to a point. Where, it got to a ridiculous point where they didn't even say things about why we're we wearing pads because yeah. they didn't want to wear pads on the street. You know, just silly things. It just got really silly. It got to a point where it was like completely street versus vert, and it was just 
pointless. So then Vert got portrayed by some of those guys as a sellout corporate kind of bubble, not the kind of real raw kind of doing it for the for the heart and whatever sort of thing. A little bit like that, but but you know, and again, I go back to my point that okay, maybe when you do a show, you go to a high school, you do a show. You want to do a vert show because it's more spectacular. Yeah. And people understand it easier. Where a street show, it's not as – they don't go as, as – if you know what I mean. It's not as aerial as spectacular. It's more technical. Yep. And people don't understand. So, of course, when they hire people to do shows, they're going to hire a vert show. Yep. But, again, back to my point, that's a, that's a good thing because if people get into the sport because they saw someone doing something on a ramp, it's fine. It doesn't matter if they do street or vert. Yeah, it's fine. It's it's okay, but they didn't see it like that. They saw we were making a bit more money, maybe, maybe we had more opportunities, and they they got a bit resentful. So part That's of it's it. the part of it's the skateboarding MV two, right? Because skateboarding drifted away from vert skating in a big way in that same era, didn't it? And yet it um, uh, it managed. Did it manage to pull that off, or was it just big enough so that you uh, you didn't notice the divide and conquer thing quite as obviously? No, it happened in skateboarding as well, yeah, but uh, mm. they, they were, they're bigger. Yeah. They're bigger, and a lot of their companies were owned by skateboarders. A lot of their things are run by skateboarders, and they had a representative in Tony Hawk that was their saviour. Mm-hmm. So um, we didn't have that. Yeah. We, we, we didn't have longevity. No one, like Arlo, Arlo was a big voice Yeah, in our sport, so it was Crusaders, but they weren't around in the age like Tony Hawk. And we didn't have a big representative in the background. We had businessmen come in, yeah, and try to take care of our sport, and try to maybe make some money or whatever. Where, where you see the bike companies, they're all owned by bikers. Yep. You know, and they they look after them themselves. They go to meetings with NBC and ESP, and they say we want this, and we want that. We don't want that street course. We want this. Yep. Our representatives, not Allah. Not Chris. I'm, I'm. There's people, other people, business people would go to these meetings and say, "How, how can we look cool? Mm. What can we, what can we do?" Where the other people would be demanding, "We want this. This is what we want for our riders." Yep. And yep. we were too young, as a, as a, as a whole, our sport was too young, yep. uh, and it, and it blew up too fast. Well, that's the thing, right? Skateboarding at that time in the early 1990s had been around as a sport doing tricks. That's right. I mean, like the Dogtown stuff was in the 70s, right, or the early 80s? That's Um, what I'm saying. It was their comeback. So you had guys like Tony Hawk and and, uh, a number of other skaters that had already been around once. Yep. They'd already seen what happened to their sport, how it dipped. We were making more money at the first X Games than the skateboarders were, and they weren't happy about that. <laughs> Why would you be? We just rocked up, and they've been around for twenty years. Yep, yep. You yep, know, yep. so all of this came into play as well as us separating ourselves. It, it wasn't good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, um, uh, can I uh, can I move on to a slightly different angle on things? Is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. Um, uh, it's it's. I mean, this all came about because I sort of noticed the kind of increase in the amount of stuff and the length of stuff you're posting on Instagram, and that seems to have been something. It's kind of like this year. Has that been like a a conscious decision for you to go wanting to kind of share some of that history and those memories, uh, or have there been other platforms I haven't known about that you've been doing that prior to the kind of Instagram posting? No, I kind of, I kind of stayed off social media for a long time. I didn't feel, I didn't need to feel a need to be a part of it all. I just, sure. uh, I'm live, I've, you know, I haven't skated for a while. I've been living life, doing what, whatever you got to do to to survive. Yep. To you know, away from skating, mainly because of injuries. Um, so, I had a few friends and people. I still get people write me. I'm, I'm even amazed that people even remember who I was and all the rest of it. But people write me from 20 years ago from countries that I went to. Oh, you know, what are you doing? Blah, blah. So my girlfriend was like, why don't you just go on Instagram? you got so much to say, so much to offer. You've got so many photos, so many things you've you've done. Why don't you just do it? I'm like, oh, no. Nah. She doesn't understand that I'm all or nothing. So when I get into something, I go all. <laughs> and she didn't understand, what you know, that this was going to happen. And she's like, I wow, the dragon. a monster. <laughs> And um, man, yeah, so. I, I, I reckon that stuff. You know, so I reckon it's such good stuff. I mean, you, you, you've got a great way with words, spoken and written, and some of those 
footage, you know, like uh, the photos. I'm not sure if people would have seen. Um, and and I, I reckon it'd be awesome to have it. I mean, it's great doing the podcast. It's great on Instagram. There's a whole string. Like, there's a. I, I reckon it'd be awesome if, like, a you know, an online magazine or something had that stuff repackaged as like a, an art. You know, an article um, column. Do you know what I mean? Like a regular column. Just go like, what's the next reminisce? Got three photos, one story. You know, it's just such well, good stuff. Yeah. Well, uh, initially, I, did, I, I honestly just wanted to do like a pictorial diary of my life from back then till now, yeah. past till present, and just put some photos up and and just date it kind of thing with soccer, with drawing, with whatever. Yeah. And then people really started reacting. I was shocked, honestly. And even with some of the posts I've put up recently, I was like, wow, they're so hungry. There's so much passion out there for skating now I, I did not know existed. Yeah. There was so much passion. I'm seeing guys. When I saw you do that Barani on the thing, yeah, that's 95. <laughs> yep. That's us discovering new tricks. Okay, we do a Barani on the platform. Mm. Wow. Do you reckon we could do it on a box? How about we do it on a ramp? Yep. You know what I mean? And the, and, and the passion that these new skaters are feeling now is what I felt back then. Yep. Towards the end of it, I was sick of it. And I know people don't want to hear that, but I was sick of it. And you speak to a lot of pro skaters. They're like, mate, this is like a job now. It feels like a job. Back in the day, it was passion, and I'm feeling that from people that write me stuff that don't have to write me at all. I don't even want followers. I don't care who follows me. I'm just putting it out there, and whoever wants to read it can read it and move on. Yep. But people are reacting. It's just insane, and and there's such a scene out there that I didn't I didn't know existed still. So I just, I just kept going. So I wrote a bit more, and I put more up, and people were, like, really interested with certain things. I was like – and then I thought, what do I like about when I hear about a rock band, for example? You like hearing the behind-the-scenes thing. When they when they toured, what happened in the hotels or yeah. or how they became good. How did that guy become such a good guitarist? Like, he didn't just become that. Where did he train? Who taught him? So these are all the things I like to put out there. People really find it fascinating, and I love that. And that's, it's so cool. And I've, I've really benefited from it as well, to be honest. I really love doing it, and it's not a chore. That's good, I man. Can't. And I think because you've got a bit of a um, you're you're principled and reflective, like you you, you mentioned in our conversation on um, Instagram Messenger, how like you know you you've observed that you're good at being able to coach and teach. Not everyone can do that, right? Not everyone who can skate or play soccer or whatever can necessarily teach it well or nah. be a talking head commentating, be on a podcast, write articles and make them interesting, you know. But you've got that extra degree of reflection and and philosophical principled you know you're a storyteller all that kind of stuff and i think that's that's a unique thing as you know that's part of what again arlo had more so probably than chris edwards for example was just had such an amazing way with words and um uh you know that's a that's again another part of it isn't it being able to tell those stories in a way that they are stories and not just kind of like um kind of 10 year old Tom went to the shop and then he went to his house and then, you know, but actually tell how you felt, why you did that, how you looked at that. You know, that's that's what makes these Instagram articles you're doing good is you're not just saying, I did this, then I did this, then I – but you're saying, I felt this, I thought that, I observed this, this is why. And, yeah, you're right. That's the stuff that makes interesting stuff, whether it's a, a football player or a, a bass player or a skater, for sure. Yeah. Well, it's, it's people see just what's on the TV or what's in the photo. For example, um, night the '98 uh, World Championships that I beat Salerno. Yeah, it just looks like I beat Salerno. But just before that, I almost broke my hand in the warm-ups. I got a nail through my wheel, so I had to change wheel. You don't want to change, put one new wheel in just before mm. the finals, and all these all this stuff happened. And I had to go out and, and skate. I'm not saying it's just me. This happens to everybody, but that's what people don't see. Yeah. And and little stories like that are what makes it. You know, when you watch those um those great football documentaries that the ESPN makes of the past. I don't even yeah. like football, but they make it so interesting because <laughs> they give you the behind the scenes and who was the person, what the character of the person was, what they were feeling, and you know, did they like the skates they were on? Did they? Did their mother die that week? You know what what happened in that person's life yeah and so so i like i like doing that and as far as teaching i've always been good at teaching because you gotta you gotta you gotta talk to the person like a baby you gotta break each step down and explain it to them some people like to complicate things the yeah. last thing you want to do when you're learning a 540 and landing you're landing face first is be confused and complicated 
Yeah. So you've got to break things down very simply and build it up. And I do that because I teach kids one-on-one soccer as well. Yeah. And you teach them footwork, you teach them skills or whatever, and you've got to speak to them this foot first. A good example is like my ex-girlfriend wanted to take me out of my comfort zone. She said, you're good at everything you do. Let's go do something you're not good at. So she took me salsa dancing for a year. <laughs> Shocking, right? <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> a, a mess. The teacher was um, amazing. Like the, the, the head guy was an amazing Cuban dancer. Yep. I couldn't learn from him. He was like skipping steps. He was like going from step one to four. The Aussie guy, right, that was the mm. second teacher, he was amazing. Yeah. He taught me and I learned quickly from everything he said because he explained step one, step two, step three, step four. So th- with when you teach skating, you just got to be a little bit like that. Yeah, I was and saying skate- that to a, like a, on a recent podcast, skating with a very talented local skater here. He was talking about grinds and the way he, he just kept saying, oh, it's just you just put your body like this and it's all fine. And it's just like, man, that doesn't help me. <laughs> that doesn't help me because when I put my body like that, it's, I miss it, I fall, and it doesn't work at all. You know, you're, you know that's, it, that's easy for you, whereas you're totally right. Whereas if you're like a, a beginner or an intermediate or not someone who has just natural flair, what you need is someone to say, oh, you've got to put that – think about this way. Put your foot like this instead of that and see how that goes. And then suddenly you go, ah, okay, I could do that. I could, uh, you know, now you're giving me something to work with. Or what you said about the invert, you know, just get a bit more, um, uh, get a bit more speed going into it and you'll be able to actually extend it up, um, you know, into a stall more. You know, that, that, you go, okay, cool. That, I can work with that. Whereas, um, yeah, because a lot of the times people are trying to do something once they're in the trick. A lot of the, most of the times the trick's set up before mm. you even go into the trick. So you, you, your invert, for example, you didn't have enough speed, and then halfway through, you're trying to get yourself up. Yep. But if you go with more speed, you'll the the ramp will throw you up. Yep. By itself, and you'll be able to do what you need to do with more time. People are doing five um, forties low, and they barely get around. I'm like, just do it a little bit higher. I know it's a bit scarier, but you'll have so much more time to spin and spot your landing and land. Yep. It's a big transition on the vert. You know, you got to use it like the backflip. The backflip. When you learn it at coping height, your body's already half flipped over. Yeah. If you just flip your head over, your feet will just follow. Yeah. So, um, yeah, you got to break. I used to break tricks down backwards. Like I'd look at the end of the trick and then break it down in three steps and um, and then go from the start. So what, um, what does doing it from backwards, how does that work? So if you look at uh, maybe you'll – some people have said that – their invert, I can't remember if it was you or someone, you do an invert and then you can't get your feet in properly. Yeah, yeah, that was me. Yeah. When you come in, right? That's because you're too close to the ramp because you don't have enough speed and you're struggling. Yep. So you break it down. Okay, you've got to put your feet down. So you need more space. So what do you do to create more space when you land? Maybe you've got to carve the ramp more. So it's safer to do an invert when you're learning. Instead of doing it straight up and down, it's safer to carve it. Yep. So when you carve, you have more room to... Ah. <laughs> to come out of it, and, and it's safer to fall. When you go straight up and down on an invert, you can miss and hit the coping, and you come you come pretty much straight down or straight out. When you yeah. carve, you kind of slide along with the transition, and you just build it up, and you learn it from there, and you get a bit higher and a bit higher and a bit higher, and then you do it. And then you stop carving it as much, and you start bringing, bringing it up more, bringing it up more, and then you start locking your arm in, and then you start feeling your weight go over the coping more. Yep. It's, it's all progression. Yeah, it's good. That's all progression. Um, same with spins. For example, if you spin, if you turn to the left, uh, five forty. Let's just pick a five forty. You turn to the left. People are trying to grab right hand to start. The yep. Right hand actually stops you, stops your rotation. Ah. But if you if you do left hand, just grab left hand around your knee, around your shin. Doesn't actually have to be your skate. And look over your left shoulder. Like you throw your your head over your left shoulder. Right, like you, like you're trying to look at your tail as you're spinning. Yeah, that that'll create a center of axis. Now you're spinning around that. It's like a pole, like you you you're swinging around a pole. Yep. And that'll bring you in perfect for the landing, and it'll be easier to rotate. There's no stopping the rotation there. It actually helps you to do that. If you stand on the spot and try to do a 360, just jump, but keep your head still. You'll barely make it around. But if you jump and just spin your head, your body will just follow. Yep. It's just little things like that. You can you can teach people that have been doing the wrong thing for two years and then in five minutes they, they got it. 
Yeah. So I mean, that's an interesting one. Is that that because I mean, normally you do grab with your um with your other hand, right? In a, in a standard, um, but so that's unlearning, uh, you know, which hand you're grabbing with when you're doing a spin a spin grab. Yeah. The easiest the easiest way to spin left is to grab left yeah. and look le- and look left. That's the easiest way. Yeah. And then once you get comfortable with that. You start throwing right hand grabs, stalls, yeah, yeah, yeah. whatever that that comes after. But the the basic principle of a spin, which even a lot of people, just a straight seven twenty tucked, people can't do it. Yeah, not a lot of people can't do it. You know, it, it's, yeah. it's 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 an easy thing if you do the right technique. Yeah. Once you start doing, you once you go off axis or grab right hand, it starts throwing you off. Yep, and then you get lost. Um, uh, I'm going to have to head off in about 10 minutes, but so can I ask you one more trick tip thing, and then maybe we could get you to, uh, if there's a particular story you want to tell this time around, or else maybe we could talk about the yellow cuff story. Um, Okay, I'll I'll, I'll be quick, yeah. Cool. So you want a trick tip. So trick tip first was, um, and this is real, again, real basic one, vert skating, um, I... Uh, this is something I came back and learned coming back in my 30s and, and you know, like I skated the pran ramp back as a teenager, never got the guts to drop in standing um, and so it was always something I admired but never could do. So I'm now learning it as an older guy um, and uh, and uh, the airing is the thing that I'm, I'm just struggling to get more height on that, that I, I feel like, I, you know, uh, I'm... I'm coming out breathless, working hard, but I feel like I'm, I'm still only getting like, you know, one or two feet out the top of the thing. Uh, what's your advice on how to actually, what should I be focusing on uh, in order to actually improve technique to get more um, more amplitude? Yeah, so technique's one of the biggest things. Um, and, and landing, so imagine a spring. Yeah. So if a spring is, you extend the spring. And then drop it. It's not going to bounce far. But if you compress it and let it go, it bounces heaps far. Yep. So when you come down off an air, yep. If you land compact and you land as close to the top as you can, you've got a lot more spring to go up the other wall. Yep. If you land straight legged, you have no spring. Yep. You have no. There's no push. You can't. Can't get higher. So you've got to build up your speed. So you've got to. When you drop in, there's two pumps. You pump down and then you pump on the way up. Yep. And you pop, you tuck up. So you bring your leg. You, a lot of people reach down and grab their skates or whatever. You're supposed to, like, bring your legs up. So right. by bringing your legs up, you're actually jumping. So you're creating a bit more height. And if you can stay tucked, you land compressed as close to the coping as possible, you've got more impact for the next wall. Also, turning too early is is a problem that will kill you. Yeah. So you, you go up, try to keep your knees not facing down straight away. Try to do like a rainbow arc, if you know what I mean. So you go up, you bring your knees up to your chest, and you gradually turn down into an, an, the, the down pump. If you go up and you turn your knees straight away, you've killed your whole, you, you've killed your whole height. Yeah. And you can over-rotate, and then you don't get the proper impulse for the next wall as well. Yeah. So basically, you go down, pump. Pump on the way up, bring your knees up, like a little jump, pop, grab your mute or whatever you, you need to do. You don't even have to grab, just bring your knees up to your chest. Yep. Gra- gradually turn, land compressed, and go again. And just don't don't try and over-pump or and you just got to build it up. It's also leg muscle memory. So when I stopped skating for a while, I used to skate for hours. Yep. And I could do a, a run which was a minute long, which is about 20 walls. When I came back and I was running a lot and everything, it didn't matter. It's, yep. a, different, it's a different activity. When I came back, I was pumping eight, nine walls, and I was, my legs were gone. Yep. So it's that muscle memory in your legs, and the, the best thing to do for that, skate. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Skate, pump, pump, skate, skate, pump, pump, skate, and that's the best thing for it. And yep. when you get that, that in there, that, that endurance in your legs – the airs will be easier. Yeah. But it's, it's technique as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. people used to say, oh, you know, oh, this and that, and oh, girls can't air high, and I go, why? Mm. Why not? Takeshi was airing higher than most people at 12 years old. He yeah. was like this a little twig. He wasn't even developed. Yeah. He had a good technique yeah. where you got big guys, I don't want to name names, but they couldn't air very high. Yeah. 
Some big guys could, though. Tig, Manuel's uh, looked bigger on the ramp than what he was in, in person. He, 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 he looked heavy when he skated. Yeah. You know? Like, he skated with power. And yeah. he used that weight to come down and go even higher. But there are people the same size as Manuel that just couldn't air at all. Yeah. It's all te- technique. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's... um. It's a it's a frustrating thing when you're learning that one. I just feel like oh, I just I I can't imagine at the moment. Okay, like my progress is so slow, and so how do you work so hard just to get up to two? When then you know, anyway, that's uh, and also carve carve is same principle with the inverts. Uh-huh. If you cut if you carve them, and you create like a circle on the ramp, yeah. It's a bit safer as well. You, you don't pop out as much. Yeah, um, you can see more where you are. If you go straight up and down, you kind of lose sight for a bit. Yeah. And it becomes a bit scary. If you just carve, you see the ramp the whole time, you go up the other side, carve again, then you start carving a bit less and start popping them straight up. Yeah. But it's a feel thing. With skating, you can read a million books, but it's a feel thing. You have to feel it. Yeah. You have to feel what it feels like to, to go above three foot. Because three foot and five foot are different. Five foot and seven foot is, again, completely different. So you have to feel it. Why, why different? What's the what's – the, can you put them into words, what the difference is between three and five, five and seven? Yeah, so let's say let's say four and seven. So four foot, if you pop out an air, say ten inches from the ramp, yeah, you're going to land a little bit bottom. But yeah. you do that three foot higher. That's three foot times the ten inches. So that's thirty inches that you've popped out now. Yeah. So suddenly the seven foot air, you're, you're landing in the middle of the ramp. So everything is is bigger if you if you pop out a spin, for example. From three foot, it's a lot safer than doing it six foot. Yeah. And the energy and the technique, because once you go high also, if you're doing a spin, you start rotating from straight. The higher you go, you start going upside down because that's the way your body's going. Yeah. So the higher you go, it's harder to keep the spin straight. Yeah. So there's all, all these little things. It's, it's completely different to approach as well. A, five, a little 540 and a big 540, it's, it's, you've got to slow it down. You've got to spot your landing early. It's completely different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. All right. Let's. Um, is there a story you want to tell, or should we do the uh, the yellow um, roaches cuffs story? Yeah, we'll do. Well, <laughs> the yellow uh, roaches cuff story was just an accident, really. We were yeah. at the X Games, ninety five X Games, and they needed people to do the downhill as well. Yep. The the speed skating. We're like, what the hell is that? We're not going to do that. And they said, just come and do it. So me, Arlo, Brooke Howard, Smith, and Ivano, who because in Europe they do a lot of that downhill stuff. He, uh. he was good at it. And we said, all right, let's do it. And I had this tag on my back. I had a Rosie's tag that I made up for myself. Mm-hmm. And I was walking past the president of Rosie's who was at the race. He didn't know who I was. He knew my name, but he didn't know what I looked like or anything. And he said, hey, excuse me, man. Like, what's that? Where did you get that sticker from or that tag? I said, oh, I made it myself. He goes, oh, why? Well, why did you make it? Oh, because, you know, I'm sponsored by Roses in Australia. He goes, what's your name? And I said my name. And he said, oh, I've heard about you. This was before the first section. So he'd only seen a couple of videos or whatever. So my, my name wasn't big yet. Yeah. He said, okay. He was a very nice man. I can't remember his name, but he's a really nice man. Yeah. And he said, well, are you going to race here? I said, yeah, I'm going to give it a go. They asked us to do it. He said, well, on those skates, I had the obviously the ram skates. He go, I said, yeah. He goes, well, how about I give you these five-wheel skates? And they were the Mexicos at the time with the yeah. yellow cuff. And I said, oh, are you sure? I don't need them. He goes, no, just you'll need them, you know, you'll race better or whatever. Okay. And then some, so I used them and we raced and all that, and I kept the skates. And then my, something happened with my skate, my frame or something, so I had to change frames. So I just put the blue frame or the Impala frames, the um, low-rider frames on the, the yellow cuff. Yeah. And I competed and I skated and it was all over TV. I didn't think anything of it, to be honest. I just needed, I just needed to have that skate. And it became a style statement. <laughs> and then everywhere I went that year, I'd go to, to the Bronx. We'd go to the skate park in Malali in the Bronx. These kids had painted their cuffs yellow. <laughs> and then Rosa Just like Sessa did, deliberately. No, no it, was, it was crazy. And, then, and it was such an accident. And then Rosa was calling me saying, you ought to stop wearing those yellow skates. Because everyone's right. calling us, asking everyone's us where we us. can order them. The shops are calling us. And they want the yellow skates. I was like, well, I don't have any other skates right now. Like, And so they ended up just making it, the parlors with the yellow cuff. And they became a bit of a, a cult thing, but really by accident. It was, there was no intention. I, I, actually, I would probably have never done a yellow skate 
intentionally. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? And again, that's such a cool little story about how, you know, these happy accidents um, <laughs> come about. Well, that's the power of the influence that we had, like as professional skaters, and I wasn't mm-hmm. even full professional. The, for example, when the White Majestic came out, yeah. Me and Toby, me and Toby Heslop went to Thailand, and they set up a ramp for me and a street course for Toby. And we did Good Morning Thailand, and we did a week of clinics, and we did when when we did our thing on the TV. The next day, I got a, a fax. I've still kept the fax. I got a fax from Rosie saying all white majestics in Thailand are sold out. Yeah. So you know, it's, it's it was crazy, crazy times. Yeah. It was really it was really good though. Beautiful. Man, I'd love to spend all morning chatting. I do have to go and get some work done. Um, but we'll, we'll line up. You're keen. I'm keen. We'll line up some more in the coming weeks and stuff and, and uh, cover some other bits of the history and some other stuff about um, uh, skating technique and tricks as well, if you're up for that. Yeah, of course. Mm-hmm. Always um, just work out what you want to what you need to ask and or maybe if people want to ask something and oh yeah totally people can um and message me through the mad beef um facebook page and uh, or you know or, or you or i through instagram as well so you're sesamora.10 and i'm um mikey g lynch um on instagram message us there as well and let us know if there's things you want to ask um there's plenty to talk about eh? Yeah, uh, it's been a long time, but I've got a good memory. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Are we going to see um, any any stuff of you back out on the skates again? I'm going to see. I'm going to try. I'm not. I'm not trying to be coy or anything. I've got a. Oh, I've got a right. bad. I've got a bad hip injury, and I, which is I can't play soccer now because mm. of it. I can still run at a moderate speed. I can do skippy. I can do bike riding. I don't know if I can skate yet. So it's just going to be a matter of if I can actually pump up and down the ramp or not. Sure. Um, if I can, I'll, I'll slowly get into it. If not. And I just can't do it. That's it. Yeah, man. Well, that, that's a that's a drag. But this is great that you can give back in another way. Really awesome. Yeah, I'm I'm loving. It. I'm loving it, and I appreciate all the nice comments and everything. I was expecting a lot of backlash and negativity, but it's just been so nice. It's been so positive, which is why I wanted to start the Instagram thing in the first place to be positive. I don't want to get out there and. Well, I think it was even just like, you know, one of the ones you, and we'll talk about this in a future episode, but you just talk about what Arlo gave to the sport. And I think in the vacuum of people hearing from him and hearing those who knew him and his contribution, there was a period during the 2000s, you know, when I came back, I I began reading the kind of trash people would talk about him in the 2000s. I just thought, oh, you know, I don't know, it just felt... um, it just really bummed me out. I just went, look, you know, even if there's this or that thing you might think differently about or whatever, I just thought that was such a – to yeah, again, small sport, short history, to just sort of um, set fire to whole chunks of it like that was really um, – No, the thing, really, the thing really with, sad. The, yeah. the thing with Arlo is he doesn't – like, I did this. He doesn't say what he did. He's done a lot of stuff that people mm. don't know about. He's mm. gone into meetings to bat for skaters that people don't know about, that he'll never talk about. He's very intellectual. He'll sit down and have uh, political debates with people. <laughs> like the guy is – he's very weird. He's very out there, but yeah. he's, he's, he's a good, honest person. Yeah. And what he's done for our sport, he's, he stood up for us when no one else did many yeah. times. And that's it. So many, people, people like you contributing, we can join the dots, we can get the full history, we can connect what's happening now with what happened in those early years and everything in between, which is awesome, and hopefully also bring a bit more unity into, again, the, you know, street, park, recreational, and vert, you know, like I, I think, I guess that's one of the things, you know, being around and, and loving vert, you know, like that's one of the small little emphases that I want to keep bringing up in my podcast is just going, oh, and also don't forget, there's this other whole discipline within our sport that's um, really brilliant and is worth pursuing. So um, so I think that's the cool thing about you coming back. It helps kind of close that loop and hopefully helps as, you know, as we mature as a sport, not have this kind of, oh, vert some um, kind of weird 90s stussy sort of yeah. retro thing or it's just a Japanese thing, but it's it's a, you know, it's it's – it's one of the options, and it's part of the well, full vocabulary can, of. Can I add something for a minute? Yeah, man. I got I got derailed before. Yeah. And another part of the attraction of Australian skaters overseas was that they could do both things. Yeah. You look at Tim Ward, right? He yeah. could ride anything. Matt Salerno won the street X Games and almost won the vert. Yeah. Uh, Tom Fry, street vert. Scott Crawford. Yep. Um, Ian Smith. All these guys, they used to ride both. So when they went over to America. It's like, what? These guys, they just ride everything. Toby. Toby Heslop was 95 junior vert champion. 
ended up beating everyone on street in Australia after that. You know, we had all these talents that could do both. And that was the attraction where over there it was either you were this or you were that. Yeah. You know, and that that, that was a, another big thing with the Australian skaters. They just didn't care. They just skated. What do I have to skate? That? Okay, let's go. I'll skate. I'll do my best. That's awesome. And that's it. It's very good, man. All right, I've got to head. Thanks so much, Cesar, and I'll be in touch about another interview sometime soon, man. Have a great day. Beautiful. Thank you. Catch ya. Bye. Mad Beef Rollerblading Podcast is produced by Mikey Lynch. Theme music by Edifice Architect. You can subscribe to us on SoundCloud, iTunes and Stitcher and get in touch with us on our Facebook page. Mad Beef is supported by Skater HQ. You can find them online at skaterhq.com.au. We are also supported by our growing number of Patreon patrons. To support the podcast, find us on Patreon. Even just $2 a month, every little bit helps.